Hello and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Thank you for tuning in, as always. But this is episode 200, a milestone episode of the show. Thank you for joining us as we got a lot of sports topics to get to, starting with the MLB trade deadline. Talking to my buddy Matt Wittenberg about the Indians trading Trevor Bauer to the Reds. Puig, a member of the tribe, got some thoughts on that. The big news of the deadline, Zach Greinke being an Astro now. The Astros continue to collect assets and going for another World Series title. Teams like the Dodgers, the Yankees, not really doing a whole lot. What they're thinking going into the stretch run. Baseball is rounding third and heading home. We break all that down, as well as other topics as well, especially college football coming up as well. And then I talked to my buddy Tom Weisenbach, relocated to Philadelphia, but still a prominent guest on this show. We talk NFL football. It's here. The Hall of Fame game was last night. We talk about the holdouts, especially at the running back position, new deals for Michael Thomas, as well as what we think of some teams and much, much more. It's the Money Mitch Effect. Matt Wittenberg and Tom Weisenbach on the show. Let's get it going. All right, Money Mitch Effect. Matt Wittenberg in the studio here in my apartment to talk about the MLB trade deadline. It's also, I don't know if you know this, you probably don't, episode number 200. Wow. Right no, on the I, dot. I had so. no clue. Yeah. I feel like I was on one of the uh, anniversary ones before. It might have been 100 Dude, or 150. I, <laughs> but yeah, just I, figure out a way to do it. I didn't even realize that you know, you saved the show by number, and I went on vacation last week, so <laughs> didn't know what we were going to be at. But yeah, right at 200. Pretty wild stuff. Glad we're able to talk about the trade deadline, which uh, was not the most eventful one. Had some some good and some bad, some real good. If you're an Astros fan, but yeah, I tell you, we're gonna start with uh, we're gonna start with that deal because that you know there's some other stuff throughout the week or so that got people's attention. But when the Astros acquired Granky today, with giving up some prospects, some arms, but nothing super major, that got everybody's attention. They're going for it. They bolster their rotation. They're now three deep like we haven't seen in a long time. What was your initial reaction with the Astros just getting Granky and loading up for another what seems like deep October run? Well, my initial reaction as a Dodgers fan was uh, here we go again. So Because obviously this team looks poised for another World Series run and I'm cautiously optimistic the Dodgers will make it there again and based on the move that they made today that it looks like the Astros are going to be there too. And I was, yeah, initial reaction was like, damn, we we can't catch a break with the AL teams, but no, it was a, that was one of those like ones that trickled in, like right as the deadline passed where we thought that it was kind of going to be a, Oh, ho-hum Trevor Bauer got traded. Marcus Stroman got traded. Those were going to be, and they went to uh, non-contending teams. So it was like you said before, a little bit of a weird kind of deadline. And then this just blockbuster bomb goes off right after uh 4 PM Eastern and the deadline closes. And it's uh yeah, they're going for it. Clearly. Um, Zach Rank, he's under contract for two more years after this season, too. So, good deal. I think they gave up three of their top five prospects. But, obviously, it doesn't matter. You don't win the prospect World Series. You go for the big trophy, the World Series. So, yeah, unfortunately, they're they're scary, especially in a playoff series, five to seven games, when you can run out those three guys and feel extremely confident in each of them. Seth Beer, J.P., Buzkowskis, Corbin Martin, and Josh Royhas. That was it. No draft picks involved. 
Pretty scary. Wade Miley is now the fourth starter, and he's solid. Yeah, <laughs> this he's could had be a really as well. good year this year, too. So this is going to be tough. also want to point out they're beating, as we record this, the Indians 10-4 on the ESPN Plus game of the week. So really wow. glad I have that subscription. And none of those big guys are, were throwing today. I can't, couldn't remember who even started for the Astros today. but Yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah. every time the Indians are on ESPN Plus, they get killed, it seems like. So love that. but They just need to get Puig in the lineup. You know, I looked at what the Astros did, and you're always going to also think about the other reaction. Like, we saw the arms race brewing. It's all due respect to the Twins and the Indians. The Yankees and Astros have been the best teams in baseball this year pretty con- in the AL pretty consistently. Yeah, Red Sox are picking up pace. They have <laughs> three or four hitters that are, can go with anybody in baseball. And if they get to the playoffs, they can be a threat. Maybe not like last year, depending mm-hmm. on the pitching, but... Of all the teams that, you know, Astros, Yankees, and even if you want to throw the Red Sox in, no one else went for it like the Astros. The Yankees, I think that's part of why this stands out to me, Wade, is that Yankees didn't really acquire anybody. We can talk about that in a second, but I think the Astros saw an opening. They saw an opportunity to acquire an arm in Granke who doesn't have to be the ace now. He's almost sliding into that Verlander role when they acquired him, where, look, we got Cole, we got Verlander. Just be our third guy. Yep. You know, and, and, and settle in. I mean, if Granky's on and if he's pitching well, oh boy, don't yeah. really know how you beat this team in a seven-game series. No, it'll be tough. It's. I mean, obviously, I think there's an adjustment period any time a guy goes to a new team, but there's obviously a few months in between now and October for them to figure it out. So, yeah, it's a scary proposition. And then, yeah, as far as the Yankees go, a little bit, especially with how hard to hit there starting rotation was this last week again in that four four game series against Boston where they salvaged the one at the end but they just looked like they were decimated as far as their rotation goes and I think they're just banking on getting Luis Severino back healthy at the end of the season and that being their big acquisition sort of it's funny how this goes back to Trevor Bauer but (laughs) the Indians were in that position last year Mm -hmm. it's very you know this I mean it is very hard to rely on a pitcher to come back from an injury and just step right into it. I almost think pitchers are wired and, and trained differently. When you get thrown off that uh, off of your normal rotation when you're injured and you miss time, it's almost like you start back at spring training level. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't. I mean, he has to come back sooner than later because if he doesn't get back and get his reps in, I mean, is, I don't think it's realistic for Severino or anybody to just come right in late in the playoff picture and just start dominating. He's yeah, going to make need, a difference. He's going to need to get that rust off. The other side of it is, I I agree with what you said about it not being the prospect series. It's the World Series of just you know going for it. And I understand Yankee fans' frustration, some Yankee fans' frustration for not making the deal and going for it. I do want to point out other Yankee fans have brought this up. They are ahead of schedule. They're set up great for the next 10 years. So I think that might factor into it, too. The Yankees might believe, okay, we think we're still good enough to beat the Astros, but we're not going to bet the farm. It's a tough game, and you're almost damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I exactly. see the logic behind it. Cashman came out and said they weren't close to any deals. That could just be BS, but it might be true. And if it's true, look, they're not going to just do anything rash and, and go for it. So I'm, I'm saying this as an impartial outsider here. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. The only one I would have said where maybe you could have been a little more aggressive is Stroman. But, yeah, the Mets got yeah. him for peanuts. Uh and the Yankees have been de- dealing with so many injuries throughout the entire season, too, and have still been right there with the Astros as the best team in the AL. So they're set up for success, too. Maybe not 
that front line success that the Astros are right now. But I, in a five seven game series, you never know what's gonna happen. But uh, yeah. it's gonna be an interesting race for those two. And then as far as to see whether the Twins can keep up the pace, what the Indians are gonna look the like. Wild after card's the, a mess right now too. Yeah, so <laughs> many teams still in contention and. Uh, yeah, Boston, like you said, is probably going to end up making a run. I'd be shocked if they didn't make the playoffs. I think we're really staring at Indians, Red Sox, and the wild card, and that just mortifies me. Uh, just to point out the fact that the Indians could still catch the Twins even with the Bauer trade, but you look at schedules, and the Twins have a much easier road down the stretch mm-hmm. than the Indians, who, by the way, great great fortune there, end the year in a week play against the Nationals, so... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I, don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But So you'll know going into that series where you stand. Look, Yankees can do themselves fine by getting a one or two seed, you know, they and, and just avoiding the Astros to the to the ALCS. Yeah, and then you're, that's the goal. And then you're there. Uh, we should talk about the Bauer trade now because it was inevitable. It seemed like he had two years left on a deal, but this is a guy that goes to arbitration every year. Um, I can't picture a better way to go out than throwing the ball in the center field. That was a hell of a toss. Damn. <laughs> I came back. <laughs> I got off of a plane, and that was the first thing I saw back coming back into the United <laughs> States of America with no context. Just, that just Bauer throwing the ball in the center field. I thought, like I'm sure everybody thought in the moment, that he got ejected. Yeah, but no, no. Just yanked by Tito. I just want to point out, I would have had the exact. I'm not going to repeat it, but I would have yeah, had like, the exact same reaction that Tito had <laughs> to him there. Yeah, any lip reader can tell for sure. Traded to the Reds. I don't know if it was punishment not going to a contender because of that, but the Reds going for Trevor Bauer, and I think it was from the Reds' perspective. We can just brush up on this. They want to just get an arm, and it's always good to just. Get, go after and grab talent. You have two years to kind of work with them. Maybe they're going to build something. I don't know. I haven't really been following the Reds closely. Yeah, but they're obviously not contenders this season. He's not a rental. I mean, there is an extra year left on his deal, so I, I understand that. And they sh- shredded sh- Ship Puig's contract. He's free agent after this year. They obviously didn't have any intention of signing him long-term and then gave up the one prospect to go to uh, San Diego, but I like the deal from the Indians' perspective. Getting the bats in uh, Framil Reyes is going to be a great DH in the AL. Like That was his big worry in San Diego mm-hmm. is that his defense isn't great, but obviously the dude can hit, and then he's got, you can plug into right field, and there you go. He's got – Reyes has a – rate. I mean, it's early, obviously, but his home run ratio for big league at-bats is crazy. Mm-hmm. I think he's hit over 40, and he hasn't had like 700 at-bats. So. Yeah. Yeah, dude can mash. I'm not calling him like the next Hank Aaron yet, but <laughs> no, uh, that that was a good one. Look, we if we getting into a fight in his last game was just insane, <laughs> what a way to go out. poetic, and I've never seen Garrett's a psycho too. I know he didn't land anything, but just going in kamikaze style <laughs> at the dugout, <laughs> the team. another first for me. Never seen that in baseball before. For as funny and fun loving and frustrating as Puig is. It's crazy that the Indians kind of need him, and, or Reyes, and at least one of them, to hit for them. You know, And I know that there's negatives to this deal. You, can you really rely on Puig the full season, the, the stretch run? I don't know. Is Reyes ready? We're not sure yet either. But you get some bats that might be able to help your lineup. I mean, we, we talked about this. The Indians' lineup is very thin. Yeah. So you can bring some of these guys in, somebody hits. It also puts the emphasis on the younger pitchers. I know Bieber's settled into that role, but... Is Salazar going to come back? Like, yeah, he's going to be back in the fold right here at the end of the year, and then 
Kluber, obviously. Mm, another, I mean, I, it's like I said so, about Severino, yeah, it's, it's hard to rely. I mean, how, like, theoretically, they, they do have a surplus of starting pitchers, which kind of, as it stands now, makes the Bauer deal not like a total death blow as far as the playoff Plutko's hopes go. another but, one, too. If he can mm-hmm. step up, that's that's good as well. And, you know, I think the Indians were ready to move on. Uh, the arbitration thing every year just kind of annoys you. Yes, 20 mil. <laughs> And I like, tr- I like Trevor Bauer as an Indians pitcher. I wish him the best, but he's crazy. Like, he's legitimately nuts. And I get it, you know, and I and I know people hate him, and, and it's good for baseball to have a guy that's just a weirdo out there. Yeah, how many pitchers have had drone injuries? Probably just the one, I'm thinking, right? Yeah, I know. God, I forgot about that. That's crazy. You're starting <laughs> Playoffs, in, the AL, in yeah. the ALCS, and you cut your hand on a drone. Tried to pitch for it. Uh, Puig, if anything else, will get them ready for... Uh, any brawls they have with the Yankees, so that's good. There you you go. got to match up with that or the Astros as well. Um, I don't think <laughs> either of us would shed a tear if he just lit up like Guriel or somebody like that. No, not at all. But no, I mean, we'll see what happens. The Indians, if they can, you know, I don't view this as a white flag. I don't view this as necessarily a step back. We'll see what happens. I think no, they did pretty either. well, and uh, like I said, I'm pretty happy he's not a Yankee. So, yeah, yeah they played extremely well this last month or so since the All Star break. So. Yeah, and if those uh, starters come back, then I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they somehow overtook the Twins for to take the division. Then the Padres, I mean, Trammell <laughs> is is a good player, but I, I feel uh, they're like they're in love with him. Apparently, they must be because they, you know, they're they're doing something that's unconventional, downgrading somewhat amongst some prospects. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, the last asset in the deal that I think makes it good for the Indians is um, I do want to point out is. Uh, the wood they got to do with the nice hair. <laughs> What's the name? The pitcher that's just, I, I got to pull his name up, but yeah, no, there, there is uh, some, some lettuce. I'll show you the, the newest <laughs> pitcher, but can't go wrong with that. No, some good Fit right there. in with the uh, sunshine. Can I ask you quickly here on the money Mitch effect, uh, Matt Wittenberg talking the MLB trade deadline. What are the Mets doing? Like, is there that's, a plan in that's place? That's a great question. Cause Stroman's a, 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 an asset. They didn't give up much to get him, but I don't know how that makes them better. And no. I don't know what they're trying to build. It really would have made no sense if they just turned around and traded Noah Syndergaard, which was the rumor for the last month or so. But they hold on to him. They hold on to Zach Wheeler as well. I think Zach Wheeler is a free agent after this year. But then they go into next season with the top three of DeGrom, Syndergaard, and uh, Marcus Stroman. So theoretically, you have a pretty strong baseline foundation there. But it's just... Yeah, questionable, especially when, I mean, I'm sure the Yankees especially were after Marcus Stroman. Just seeing him land with with not a contender this season was, especially when he's having his best year so far. He has sub-3 ERA and pitches pitches in the ALE, so it feels like he was like tailor-made to go to the Yankees. But I don't know. They had other ideas in Queens, so... None, none of their other moves have really pay, off-season moves have paid that, off yet either. So. I thought Thor Syndergaard would be traded. I really did, um, but apparently not. I I don't know. I mean, the NL, and we'll get to your Dodgers in a second, but the NL as a whole is kind of down this year. Oh, 100%. So maybe they're thinking, look, like we know the Dodgers are, are far and away good and there's some other teams doing well, but next year, a couple tweaks, we're back in this thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe. I mean, maybe the Reds in similar thought with Bauer. I guess I'm saying that it's not ter- they didn't really mortgage anything. It's weird that they're buying anything, but 
they acquired an asset and they didn't give up much, so it's hard to really. I think the weird aspect of it is from the Blue Jays' perspective. Was that really the best offer? That especially if they waited until if the, yeah. like the deadline. Well, the Yankees deadline say they day. weren't close, so maybe. I, I, I bet it was the best, but they could have just waited and probably got something better closer mm-hmm. to the deadline time. But they were just another team ready to move on. I'm going to show you those picture off here. Hunter Wood, this guy right here. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. flow. Everybody look up Hunter Wood because he's got the photo of him throwing, and that's the one just very majestic. Hair blowing in the wind. He so. and uh, Sunshine Clevenger are going to get along well. Yeah, Jared Leto and Sunshine just, just <laughs> lightening it up for the Indians. Can't wait. So the Dodgers didn't really do much of anything this trade deadline, but a lot of people would argue that they didn't need to do anything. Are you happy that they kind of just played it on the relative safe part, or was there a move out there you thought? I I was fully behind the move, the big blockbuster move to trade for Felipe Vasquez, the Mm. Pirates' closer. Dominant lefty with a... Very team-friendly contract for the next four years. It's just crazy and, that the Dodgers, universally, the issue is how are we going to close games. Mm-hmm. And, and it then, wasn't addressed. And I don't know if they're worried about... I Actually, I think the big worry is dealing prospects because they've been reluctant to deal prospects for a long time. And so this was nothing new. But I don't know if the worry is like having competition for Kenley Jansen, if you're worried about disrupting the clubhouse or well, anything that, as I far mean, as that he, goes. Look, I, he needs some competition. I, I completely <laughs> agree. I feel very, very nervous. I mean, the last two Octobers, he's been notorious for giving up late-inning home runs. So, yeah, just making the move, solidifying the back end of the bullpen, whether it's Vasquez or Jansen who closes. I mean, I feel like you're – if you're in the clubhouse, you're able to get past it as long as you're winning. So, I mean, that I would have traded probably not uh, Gavin Lux, who's the Dodgers' number one uh, prospect, but I probably would have done a combination of Dustin May, their top pitching pro- prospect, and Cabert Ruiz, their not their top. Well, Will Smith is their top pit catching prospect, who's up in the big leagues now. So theoretically, he's your catcher moving forward. So you no, know, don't necessarily have to hold on to Cabert Ruiz, who was like rumored to be one of the big sticking points for this deal. I mean, it's crazy how much better the Dodgers are in the NL than everybody else, and no one in L.A. cares about that. No, nope, it's just about the it is, series It is now. the definition of a title or bust season here, and it is an arms race, and, and that's why you make a deal like that if you were to go after a top-end closer is because you're trying to win the whole thing and you don't want to leave anything to chance. Yeah, it's sort of like I allude to. Like, having these prospects is great, but there's no guarantee that any of them work out, no matter highly, how highly rated they are. But obviously, there's no guarantee that Vasquez works out if he's traded either. But I think you substantially increase your chances, especially since left-handed relief pitching has been your big weakness all season long. Well, and you look at what the Astros' other move they made, adding all those bullpen runs, I think it was the last official deal they made yeah with adding the Blue some Jays. Arms. yeah for Derek Fisher was the name yep. of the prospect so yep. good to baseball see baseball Derek Fisher yeah good to see he got his car up the right way on the 101 <laughs> and I don't think Matt Barnes is on the deal I, we'll see but yeah, uh, I'll check him at the border no going yeah. up to Toronto no I definitely don't want that Derek Fisher uh, but no I mean it wasn't the craziest trade deadline but I thought there were some solid moves that we we didn't get to that teams made I thought Castellanos going to the Cubs was one I, I like from them. I mean, yeah, he's a good hitter. They're in a dogfight of a race with the Cardinals. It looks mm-hmm. like for that NL Central. Um, 
you know, the wild card's all over the place as well. So yeah. I think that's a team where they took an immediate risk there. I liked what Atlanta did, adding uh, Shane Green, the Tigers' closer, and uh, Mark Melanson from the Giants, shoring up their uh, bullpen, which has been a big weakness of theirs all season long. So I think that they they definitely solidified themselves as the second-best team in the NL. A lot of teams, yeah. I mean, a lot of teams that are just standing pat, fine to do so. You surprised that the Giants didn't trade Mad Bum? No, especially not with how like it was well publicized how well they've been playing this last month of the season, and they're back in the wild card race. I don't think they're necessarily going to win, but I feel like it would have been a tough sell to, to their fans after uh, this run that they're going on, and then just waving the white flag and being like, "Oh yeah, we're." Sending out our old World Series hero just because uh, we're probably not going to contend this year, even though we're, what, two games back of the wild card. So, that was, I mean, I feel like that that run that they went on threw a lot of wrench in the team's plans because obviously Mad Bum wasn't available. They didn't end up in trading uh, their closer, Will Smith, who was heavily rumored to be on the move somewhere. So I don't know if they ever trade him. I, I, I'm still, even if they don't go on that run, it's Madison Bumgarner. Like, we're not talking about any... Yeah. Even any all-star. Like, this is the guy that single-handedly won you that last one. That's true. He's got three of them, too. So, I mean... I mean, i obviously such a big Dodgers fan. I got no love for the Giants, but I have to respect the hell out of that guy. Well, remember Game 7 against Kansas City. Yeah, out of the bullpen. When he just came out of the bullpen, <laughs> and it was like, okay, this is happening now. Can't yeah. tell you how hard I was rooting for the Royals in that series. He, uh, I mean, I, I can't say I agree with you because I don't <laughs> like the Royals and I hated Eric Hosmer. <laughs> Padre now, whatever. Go enjoy playing with Machado and just collecting money. And yeah, living in San Diego. <laughs> well, I did want to talk a little bit about the playoff picture just as we go through this. I talked about the NL where the Dodgers are the only team in a position of comfort 15 games up. Is in that the division. all? Yeah, it's just been... One of those years for them, more reminiscent of two years ago than last year. But mm-hmm. absolutely, you're, you're right about the Braves, man. They've been doing. Very, I mean, they're five and five in the last ten, but 64 wins is the only other team above 60 in the NL. After that is when it gets good. We mentioned Cardinals, Cubs, a game apart right now. Um, Milwaukee still in contention as far as the Central goes. You got too. you got Milwaukee a game back there. The wild card is right now. It looks like Nationals and Cubs in that second spot, but the Phillies are hovering. Milwaukee's there. Even the Giants can make a run. I mean, it's open, and we saw it just get hot, make things happen. It could. It's setting up to be a year like last year, where you could have like a central tie to get a second wild card spot or something like that. But but the Phillies don't make the playoffs. It's uh yeah. After all the moves not good. That they made in the off season, obviously Bryce Harper the headliner and JT Real Muto, biggest catcher on the market, getting traded there, and then they added uh, Corey Dickerson, who's a pretty good. Uh, had a lot of injuries this year, but he's a good solid outfield piece for them too. But yeah, it's obviously not going to look good on Gabe Kapler if they don't make the playoffs this year when you have that much at your disposal. Yeah, I mean, McCutcheon went down early, too, and that kind of hurt big blow. them. But, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think we were expecting them to win the World Series, but we're playoffs talking about least. getting just, you know, into the playoffs with about a 530, win percentage might do it. and they're struggling to get that right now. and um, Yeah, the East is tough, though. The East and Cent- – I mean, obviously, the West is the only division where there's that huge separation. So, you could definitely see these races going down right to the wire. Two worst teams. and Well, I mean, 
It's just funny because you got the Marlins who I don't know what they're doing, but Tigers <laughs> and Orioles. I mean, the Tigers is, I think, <laughs> that, that franchise is about as sad as it's been. Oh, I know. Probably in our lifetimes. Yeah, they have to really go back. For, for quite a while when Verlander and obviously when, and Miguel Cabrera's uh, prime. So they're only thirty-two games back. Of the, okay, of the Twins. So how many how many games are left in the season? Like maybe forty. <laughs> yeah, so I, thirty-two <laughs> and seventy-two, not good. But mention with what the uh, the other teams. I mean, the AL Central is just so brutal outside of those top two teams. But I'm interested to see that AL wild card race because as it stands right now, Rays are up on the Red Sox by a game and a half. Indians are pretty solid in that first wild card spot, and the Rays are just behind Oakland for that second spot. But anything could happen, and and a team like Oakland, who always seems to be hovering in that pace, mm-hmm. they made a couple moves today too. They got Tanner Roark, starter out of uh, Cincinnati, and uh, their lineup has actually been pretty good, like it was last year. Back end of their bullpen, Liam Hendricks is really good, so. Yeah, they're in obviously, obviously that uh, small market mentality. Billy Bean running the show still, so I like. I'd kind of like to see the Angels make a bit of a run. I know they've played a lot better since the All Star break, but just like not seeing Mike Trout in the playoffs is always a little bit of a d- bummer. So it's ridiculous that I don't want to say they're wasting his career because he's playing great baseball and we're getting to see it and he's racking up numbers and doing his part. But that, how are they? How does this consistently happen? Yeah, it's a shame. This would be what four straight years of not. I, I think, think so. fourteen was the last year. Five, yeah, it's be the fifth straight year, right? He's only playing the playoffs once. It was fourteen when they got swept out by the Royals. I think that was the that only sounds time. right. Yeah, ridiculous stuff there. Um, yeah, what was your preseason uh, World Series? Was it Dodgers? I'm assuming. Um, it was yeah, definitely Dodgers. Probably Dodgers Astros, to be honest. I think I had Yankees Cardinals. I think that's what it was. Yikes! <laughs> I know you love that. <laughs> uh, I mean, hey, look, we're right there. So yeah, it's true. I think the Cardinals, the Goldschmidt, Cardinals Cubs are going to be an interesting race down the stretch, especially if you believe the murmur that Madden might not be there next year. Yeah, that's definitely a big time subplot. And then, I, like I said, I think I don't think uh, Milwaukee's going anywhere. They obviously went on a really big run at the end of the year last year and made it to the NLCS. Well, that's a tough one, Christian too, right? Yelich that's the, is still the Christian showdown Yelich. for MVP, right? I mean, those guys are going to be just Yeah, belly and belly. <laughs> <laughs> that was so awkward when they were mic'd up for the All-Star game, just two awkward guys trying to... Yeah, not, not exactly the most charismatic guy, so... Yeah, I mean, Freddie Freeman, be, when he was up to bat, was definitely be, the highlight. We can't all be Francisco Indoor. That's I mean, true. Come on. Yeah, dude dude oozes charisma, so... Uh, all right, well, this was good. Before I let you go, I want to get a couple quick thoughts in on our other passion that's college football coming oh, up. I know yeah, we got right like around month, the corner. We got less than a month away. We're all excited. Um, can't wait for it for a lot of reasons, obviously, but... I think those early slates of game or games are really going to get me going because we've, we've talked about this before, but college football has done a good job in the last couple of years of really shoring up the opening week. Yep. And, I, and there's, a, there's a handful of games on there I was looking at. you got Oregon-Auburn for sure. No, that's sort of the headliner. College yeah. game day is going to that and even, game. Even, what is it, Friday night or Thursday? Friday night at Utah and BYU, the yep. Holy War there. And... Uh, Little surprise that USC is such a big favorite over the best team in California last year, Fresno State. Yeah, I saw them up close and personal in the Vegas Bowl. They looked pretty damn good. They they took it to my uh, ASU Sun Devils, so I, I wouldn't oh. shock me at all if Fresno takes that game. To be honest, so 
I don't know. Hammer, I, hammer the dogs, though. That their SC's not covering that. No, that that just seems absurd. Uh, the start of the Ryan Day era is against the Fighting Lane Kiffin, so that'll be pretty fun. <laughs> um, still trying to get my cousin, who's in Ohio State, uh, I think he's a sophomore now, to dress up as Day Man. Yep. To just really celebrate the new era. I would catch on. He's gets caught on those the, ESPN cameras. The, he's going viral for sure. The yellow suit. Yeah. So, how about Arizona State this year? Are we feeling optimistic? Uh, optimistic about the defense. A lot of guys played a lot of freshmen last year, obviously getting those reps in didn't lose a game other than the bowl game by more than, uh, seven points. So really, really optimistic about them making strides questions all just on the quarterback battle. Cause obviously Manny Wilkins is finally gone after Good what it felt years. like yeah, <laughs> seven years. So lot, Dylan Sterling Cole is the only guy on the team who's had any practice, any reps, in college, the other guys are freshmen competing, but by all accounts, coming out of like from the beat writers, J- this Jaden Daniels kid from out here in Southern California is, I think, the number two rated dual threat quarterback from this last class. He's opening a ton of eyeballs. So, I mean, I'm kind of hoping he wins that competition, just gets the keys to the car from the get go, and let's let, let's let it ride. You guys won seven games last year? Yep, sure did. Seven games in the regular season. Are we feeling eight? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as, yeah, a lot obviously depends well, on the quarterback solid. You get to position. eight wins, you're feeling good. We're yeah. building something. Still have yeah. one okay. of the best running backs in, in the country, and Eno yeah. Benjamin, who he's going to be the focal point of the offense while the new quarterback gets adjusted. But, yeah, cautiously optimistic that uh, Herm knows what he's doing, and there's another step forward to this year. Ohio State season, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued and torn on, on what it's going to look like. Another quarterback uh, question. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Fields is going to come in and play right away, and Day was the guy who got the offense on track and then really turned Haskins into what we saw. He's been recruiting pretty well. We're not going to really see the fruits of that for a few years. Schedule's got some pitfalls in it, though. It could be There could be some slip-ups there. And uh, the one I was looking at was a afternoon game on the road at that dump of a stadium at Northwestern. Ooh. Don't like that. <laughs> Noon kickoff, so, yeah. That, those are tough. This could be a, a, a dreadful two-loss season, you know. <laughs> as long as one of those is into Michigan, right? Yeah, can't have that. Uh, that was the other game I was trying to think of <laughs> that I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued at is uh, Boise State, Florida State. Ooh. Florida State's, uh, I think, a favorite in that one. I'm not really sure I like that. Yeah, based on what we saw from them yeah. last season. That guy's going to be reading a book in the yeah. stands shirtless again. <laughs> I don't know. You better be there at every game. We need it. We need it. All right, Matt Wittenberg, this was fun. Thanks for coming by episode 200. So I guess I'll see you in 50 to 100 Yeah, episodes. there we go. <laughs> keep, keep the tradition going. All right, thanks for coming on the show. Right, you got it. All right, huge thanks to Matt Wittenberg for stopping by. Always fun talking to him about baseball. And uh, I do think that if the Dodgers don't win this year, he may have a breakdown now. <laughs> but it's going to be fun to see what happens. He knows his stuff, and we'll be talking college football soon as well. So big thanks to him again for coming on. Now it's time to switch gears, talk NFL football with Tom Weisenbach. And we have a lot to say about some of these holdouts, Ezekiel Elliott, Melvin Gordon, what the timeline might look like for both teams, a receiver market being set by Michael Thomas. We also dive into the NFL 100 list, which saw Aaron Donald get the number one ranking. And we got to talk football any chance we can get. Here's Tom Weisenbach now on the Money Mitch Effect. I'm feeling smooth, ain't nothing gonna phase me. Yeah, 
All right, now back on the show on the Money Mitch Effect to talk a little football. My good buddy Tom Weisenbach. I think this is uh, the first time we've chatted across the country now in Philadelphia. Tom, thanks for coming on the show, which, by the way, I don't know if you know this, and you probably don't, is episode number 200. So, welcome to the show. Wow, I'm honored to be on the 200th episode. I was probably in a handful of one of the first few episodes. And I also come think... A long way and- I come a long way, and now I'm on the phone instead of being live in person. <laughs> yeah, you've really gone a long way, too. Uh, I think you've actually, we're on, like, number 100 or 150. I want to go and check the archives, but it seems like you always pop up on all the on all the milestone the episodes, mile. so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. But we're, we're really here to talk about football because tonight, as we record this, is the NFL Hall of Fame game. We've waited. I know the dog days of summer. There's baseball. There's some other things to get our appetite ready. But we're, we're all just counting down the days to football. And the preseason slate starts tonight. Football's p- picking up. We've got a lot to discuss, Tom. But the first thing I wanted to, uh, to talk to you about was uh, what seems to be a new season, and it's holdout season with the NFL. Some star players are, are in the process of still trying to get some deals. So I wanted to get your take on that. We got Zeke, we got Melvin Gordon, Michael Thomas did get signed, but you think holdout season is uh, going to keep going for a while, or do you expect some of these deals to get signed soon? I just think a lot of these veterans don't like going to camp, and so holding out is kind of the new in vogue thing. And uh, you know, on the other hand, they, I mean, do have a case most of the time, but a lot of you know for getting more money, but or longer term deal or guaranteed money or whatever their reasons are are probably just, but at the same time, they don't want to be out in the heat for the first two weeks of this training camp. Yeah, and it's interesting to point out, too, especially running backs, were they actually even going to play in the preseason? I, I don't think so. So what what really are you missing? As long as a deal gets signed, nothing is really going to be taken for granted. And I, I want to save them for later, the running backs. But the other position players, like the linebackers, I know Bobby Wagner wants a deal. He's in camp, but he's probably not going to play. It's a weird situation there. Thomas gets his receiver deal. Julio's in camp, but looking for his money. I almost feel like for a lot of these players, they're trying to to uh, reset the market. You see that with quarterbacks, but the positional players, especially the top end ones, are really trying to just get in an arms race of who has the next deal that breaks the records. It seems like that's what's been happening. Yeah, and that can be agent posturing too, in order to get that. You know, it's you know all a formula to. to to get that next payday for that next star that they have on their roster. So, uh, you know, all that all that comes into play there with, with the cat-and-mouse game between the agents and the organization. $100 million for Michael Thomas, Tom. Um, Ross State wide receiver taken uh, a few years back in the second round. That's, that's groundbreaking. It's a guy that uh, up until maybe even last year people wouldn't have put into that top class. Now he's the highest-paid receiver in NFL history. Kind of different player. He's just a target machine. But I think as you'll see with a lot of guys, especially those running backs, how the team is constructed really tips their hands and makes a guy like Thomas so valuable because he was and still continues to be, you know, the huge machine and a huge portion, pretty much the only portion of the Saints offensive receiving core. Yeah, and then with a team that was, you know, basically two plays away the pre you know, one play away the previous two years from the Super Bowl you kind of want to keep that mojo as you know together as close as you can because you don't want any disgruntled juju heading into the season and keep everybody happy, especially your star players on the last few years of, of Drew Brees' career because you never know. This might be his last legit shot of uh, of getting the Super Bowl champion in New Orleans. Uh, 
you know, to end his career. Yeah, and and you mentioned bad juju. I mean, pun intended because I was going to bring up the Steelers, but look at what happened with them. They don't give deals to two guys that, that wanted them, and, and last year's season kind of got torpedoed, and those guys are no longer in town. Uh, Julio Jones is the other one that's waiting on that contract that I mentioned. He has a good relationship with the owner, Arthur Blank. I expect the deal to, to happen sooner rather than later, but it's all about the – and I bring him up because it's all about when these guys are trying to get their money, and Julio's a little on the older side, not younger like Thomas. I don't know what the market is for him, and, and that gets into – are you going to pay a, a player that's been a legend in your franchise down the road for, for service already done? That could be very dangerous. There's a reason why teams like the Patriots don't do that. Yeah, and that happens more in like baseball than it would in, in football, but a lot of these trends through uh, are you know, transcending the different sports between basketball, baseball, football, etc. Um, with, with these contracts, uh, I think Julio gets injured a lot, and so that's a lot to invest in someone who games a year on the back end of his career. Uh, I think for a team like, you know, any team that, that is, you know, on the precipice of something that needs another weapon, and that's where Julio has his leverage. But I don't see, I don't anticipate Julio Jones leaving the Dome, that, you know, Matt Ryan relationship. They have a ton of really good receivers down there. I don't I don't really see him wanting to move on from Atlanta. Yeah, he's in a pretty good situation, as we know. Uh, and, and having a quarterback, I know Matt Ryan takes a lot of flack for some of his shortcomings, but we always see the grass isn't greener with quarterbacks in this league, especially for younger, younger quarterbacks, which you just don't know, Julio being a veteran, not wanting to leave that situation. I do want to switch to the running backs because the two biggest ones, I mean, that are that are having issues right now, Ezekiel Elliott and Melvin Gordon, both holding out, not going to camp, which we mentioned. Gordon that came out today requested a trade. Not sure that that's likely at all. Chargers have no interest in doing so for obvious reasons. But the Zeke situation is fascinating, Tom, because there wasn't the buzz that there was with Gordon that he was going to hold out. It came right before camp started that he wasn't on the plane. He was going to go to Cabo, Mexico, train there and, and wait for a new deal. And Jerry Jones has held firm on the fact that he doesn't think it's necessary to pay a running back the money that Zeke wants, even when it's good as Zeke. What's your take on this? Because I do think Jerry's making some sense here, but the way the Cowboys are built, they're kind of backing themselves into a corner, not bringing him into camp right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you know what you're going to get with Zeke a lot of the times. The last couple of years, he's been suspended for the first few games of the season, or, you know, there's been an issue with him to, to start the year. Uh, Le'Veon Bell's been through this in the past. Uh, I think on the other side of that coin, you have Ezekiel Elliott, who should probably be paid like that team's quarterback, just because the offense runs through him. You know, they set up that pass with the play-action pass. They brought back Jason Witten already, you know, because of that, just to help Dak out. Like, Dak isn't that franchise quarterback that, that he, he only can perform that way because of what he has in the backfield with Zeke. So if anybody needs to be paid as the focal point of that offense, it should be Ezekiel Elliott. And I think he, again, just doesn't want to go to California just this <laughs> early or, or get banged up in a preseason game. Yeah. Yeah. This is quite the standoff. And, you know the direct quote from Jerry Jones was along the lines of "You don't need a you don't need a, a running back paid the way that Zeke wants to be paid to win a Super Bowl," and that is accurate. I mean, look at the last four Super Bowl champions: Tom, your Eagles, two times for the Patriots and the Broncos. 
no real like dominant high paid running backs on those teams. But as you mentioned, those teams are built a little differently. The defense, the quarterback play a lot a little a lot stronger in some cases and they don't have the luxury the Cowboys do of not having Zeke there. And and, and for a guy like Jerry Jones who'd give everything he has to win a Super Bowl, I don't know if they're in that discussion. They were a second-round playoff team, but okay, they might be an outside chance to win a Super Bowl this year. you got to have Zeke there. I mean, there's no other way. If, the way the roster is, if he's not there, they have no chance. So that's why I do think eventually, in a couple weeks maybe even, they're going to cave. They're going to pay Zeke what he wants. I think he knows this. I think he's just going to chill for a little bit and eventually get what he wants. Yeah, I think you're right. He, I mean, he's pretty much that team and the success of that team is built around him he knows it and so he's going to use his leverage as much as he can I just don't know if Melvin Gordon to switch it Tom has that same leverage not sure now I know yeah. there, there's some different parts there Rivers is aging still playing pretty well the defense is loaded um, and, and they have backup running backs that the gap isn't as wide between Zeke and the next guy in Dallas as the as the Chargers who also have a better receiving core so I don't know that Gordon has that leverage. That one might be a little more dicey to me. Yeah, and that's a team that has a little bit more weapons on the outside. Uh, you know, they have had, you know, to juggle five running backs over the last several years to, throughout the season with injuries as well, just like every other NFL team. I don't think Melvin Gordon and you and you see the value in running backs just last year with Todd Gurley, like in the same city in LA, you have you have so much stock in these running backs and then all of a sudden it, they can go, go off a cliff in, 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 a, in a month and, and not perform or year to year not, not be as, as productive as they were in the past. So I, I, I think these guys have to try to get as much money as they can while they're still at the top of their game. Yeah. And so once there's good tape with Melvin, then he wants to capitalize on that because the shelf life on a running back is not as high. Yeah, they're offering him, I think, 10 mil a year. Gurley got, I think, four for 60. Le'Veon Bell's value is around that. Uh, and Gurley, with his knee situation, getting hurt might not, you know, that that's a long-term scare. He goes down, and C.J. Anderson steps in and does very well. Uh, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be a messy situation. One last thing on the Cowboys, Tom. Do you think anything, there might be a resentment factor with Zeke because they, they kind of took care of Cooper before him? It's probably something that he has a little bit on his mind, but I don't think a lot of those guys – I feel like everybody thinks that they need to just get paid. Like, I know they needed a, a weapon, and what, did they trade him, and then they took care of Cooper? Is that what the, mm -hmm. what the timeline was? Yeah, got him last year. You know, basically everybody ripped them for trading a first, but a team like Dallas, again, needed something at the receiving core and did well, took care of him, and yeah, and Zeke was still waiting on his deal. So I would agree. I think it might just be something in the back of his mind, but not necessarily getting in the way of, of uh, negotiations or being resentful, but something to monitor. It's going to be uh, fascinating to see when these guys come into camp here with Tom Weisenbach on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, Tom, I want to get your take on your Philadelphia Eagles because Carson Wentz has been doing some impressive things in camp. This is a big year for obvious reasons as the Eagles look to regain their championship form. What's your vibe right now going uh, into camp and in the preseason schedule with Wentz, the offense, and how the team's looking? A lot of excitement uh, here in Philly on that front. Uh, Deshaun Jackson return has big, made big news. A uh, lot of really good connection conversation between Wentz and Deshaun. Uh, hopefully stretch the field a little bit more, try and take Wentz's eye 
away from Ertz, not necessarily away from him, but more of a let's spread the ball around type of offense. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, there's a couple a couple good weapons on the outside uh, with, with some new faces there as well. The uh, corner situation is still a little bleak with injuries, and, and the offensive line depth is still a question that we'll have to monitor. Uh, keeping Wentz healthy, who looks leaner and, and by all accounts are is a little thinner and had a little bit more healthy offseason this year. So that's good. I, I mean, I I can't really tell until uh, till they mm-hmm. take the field what they're going to be, but there's definitely high expectations. I think the Wentz thing is is only really you know under the lens right now because of last season and the injury. If he's looking good, that's a step in the right direction. Obviously, I mean we're we're looking at it as we'll see what happens when the season starts. But it's good you got that deep threat into Sean back, who doesn't seem to age in terms of the speed factor. I'm I'm just looking at two things as an outsider for the Eagles, Tom, and that's what the running game looks like this year with a lot of the bodies that were in there last year and some turnover and the secondary, which was just gutted with injuries. How do you feel about those two areas of the team? Yeah, the running back situation is very interesting. One, because they re-signed Darren Sproles for a one-year deal, which uh, is, I think, a really good move just for the wild card factor of his role, but that's a body on the roster. So they may keep five, four or five running backs. That's a question as well, where there's about three guys competing that for that fourth running back role. You know, between Miles, uh, you got Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, Corey Clement, that I think are shoe ins for that spot, and then Sproles for specialty roles. So then it's what are you going to do between Wendell Smallwood, right. what Boston Scott, and Danelle Pumphrey? <laughs> so that's like what you what that these are what we're watching at the end of preseason games for those three names to figure out who's going to hit that roster spot. But I like the running back, the stable of backs that they got. I, I think the NFC East has some of the best uh, running backs in, in all of football with the stable of backs that they have in Washington, and we talk about Zeke already, and and the Giants of Saquon. So I think the collective of division, you can't really go farther for for running back production than than the NFC East. It's tough to argue. I mean, that that's a hard fact to argue given that division, and, and we'll see what Washington has as well because they got some guys coming back as well to add to the mix. But, yeah, it's a tough one. I just think if your secondary is right, if you can get some healthy bodies and they're recovered from their injuries, it's going to be a tough team to beat in the NFC East. I'm, I'm with you. Sidney inside. Jones is actually seems to be the, the early word on Sidney Jones is that he's improving drastically from, from there, and he got healthy. And he got some experience last year, and so hopefully this offseason he can really take a, a quantum leap. Be good for you guys for sure. Uh, as you probably guessed, I'm pretty excited as well for this season as a Browns fan. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just interesting to actually have you know the being. I don't think people really realize just how crazy, especially how crazy the town's going to get being the betting favorite to win the AFC North. I know it's kind of an open race, but just being in the mix is, is groundbreaking. Yeah, it's, it's it's just to be have the headlines. You know, you had them with Johnny Manziel, but that you knew that was kind of fool's gold from the start. It was more the, uh, the persona between like him or Tebow or somebody at that point in time. But But you guys actually have a really exciting group of people to rally around and this is the first time that that relevancy 
is is there. You know, yeah. <laughs> I know no, you're not wrong. It. I mean, it's weird that I can say those words. You're not wrong. Uh, the only other time was 2007. They finish, I think, yeah, 2007 season. They finish nine and seven, miss out on the playoffs. Excitement for 08. They are terrible, four and twelve, and then it's all downhill from there. Uh, but passing game, obviously exciting. Some edge rushers that are insane as well. Taking out the Bengals of the equation because I just don't think many people, especially with the green injury, think that they're going to contend. It looks like a three horse race. Tom, I'll be honest with you. Still not really sold on Lamar Jackson as like a legit as a legit QB with a long term future in the NFL. But I'm still, and maybe it's just you know some PTSD from the past. I still worry a little bit more about the Steelers because I do think chemistry matters, and I know they lost Brown and Bell, but. Brown's an unbelievable talent, but there might be good in getting him out of that locker room as much as it pains me to say. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, the, that division's pretty much up for grabs this year with, with whoever wants it. You know, there's um, there's plenty of question marks there, and then there's plenty of, of pedigree. So it's, it's chemistry between the Browns. I think that the uh, just as much as it's chemistry between the Steelers, you know, what's, uh, what's uh, Odell Beckham and, and Jarvis Landry and – and Baker Mayfield is going to spin up between what the twilight of Ben Roethlisberger's career can can give us with the next. Because remember, they moved on from Mike Wallace about the same time in, mm-hmm. in Antonio Brown's career that Juju Smith-Schuster is in now, and you see how that worked out. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good comparison. I, I, I just Football is an interesting sport, right? In basketball, you can't necessarily get away with it because there's only so many guys that play and make a difference in a game. And there are so many great receivers that don't – throughout history, currently playing and throughout history that don't have rings that put up great numbers because, you know, it wasn't a good fit. Teams can win without them. So we'll see. I mean, the Browns aren't a perfect team either, and the schedule is pretty brutal in the middle of it. So I think it's going to be a dogfight, and I think that there's going to be a chance for all three of those teams to make a run at the division. The Ravens, I mean, their defense is nasty too, and Harbaugh's a good coach. So even if Jackson doesn't light it up, they're going to be in the thick of things too. It's just going to be a fun race, uh, a very fun divisional race for sure. Uh, but Tom, the one thing I wanted to, to ask you as well, because uh, we got to we got to know each other at NFL Network, and do you follow the uh, top one hundred players list? I did not this season, this off season. I was uh, I did not follow it that much. I want to get your opinion. Yeah, I, I want to get your opinion on like something because yeah, this. Now, in the past, it's gotten criticized. I mean, obviously, these aren't perfect lists, and how do you really compare players of different positions, especially on different sides of the ball? But this is as voted on by the players, which we both like. And the top 10 is what I want to talk about, because for the first time in his career, the number one player as voted on by his peers is Rams D-tackle Aaron Donald, which I give two thumbs up for approval. I, I'm, I'm really in favor of this one. It was Donald, Breeze 2, Mac, Mahomes, Bray, and... Uh, Gurley rounding out the top five, then Brady, Antonio Brown, Rodgers, Julio Jones, and Von Miller. Donald won the rest of the top ten. Anything stand out or do you agree strongly or disagree with? I think that just shows you what uh, what having a really strong you know defensive tackle and those tackle can do for, for the success of the team. Look at, look at all those Super Bowl winners that you were talking about. They have a really strong defensive presence. Um, and the uh, – the passing game, of course, is, is always going to be top game. But the next thing, the layer of, of specificity within football is that defensive front. And, and you see that just 
continue. Look at Fletcher Cox on on the Eagles side, Aaron Donald. Uh, there's plenty of guys that you can cite on that front, but yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think I mean Donald's a freak. We've all discussed it. Nobody has played that position that I've ever seen with that athleticism and speed. And you're starting to see it. I mean, he was seven last year, but the year he had leading the league in sacks as a D tackle is just crazy. But Breeze number two was another one that I know we're in the last couple of years of his career. We think, but the team success that you know, and, and that's a that's a tip of the cap to what he's done and, and what he's able to do leading that offense. I know it's hard to rank quarterbacks, but you had Breeze, Mahomes, and Brady two, four, and six, and uh, followed by Rogers eight. So. I think there is, I don't want to say a changing of the guard because Mahomes is your last year winning the MVP and and getting the fourth spot on this list. If he follows up with another great season, then we're starting an era here because the Chiefs were a team we didn't mention, Tom, earlier in the show. But as bad as last year's loss was to the Patriots in the AFC title game, they're setting themselves up for a nice long run as long as Mahomes is back there. Yeah, I mean the Chiefs uh, and Andy Reid is is going to be steady as as a steamboat, you know, as uh, as long as they have Mahomes back there and and they can keep doing what they're doing. What's the Tyreek Hill situation in the, in Kansas City? He's back and he's not suspended. Um, and look, we you know there wasn't anything proven. What I think this really reflects, right or wrong, is that there's been a little bit of an about face with this NFL player conduct thing. I'm going to say this is a little bit of a disgruntled Browns fan in this regard, and I do think that what is alleged or proved to be happening is, is terrible. But Kareem Hunt got you know 13 games, counting his Chiefs total suspension. Hill has gotten zero. I, I'm I'm just going to put that out there. I, I don't know exactly, other than other than the fact that I think that they might be backing off their personal conduct policy, trying to to be the law themselves. The NFL seems like they're just not going to pursue these top end suspensions anymore. Yeah, and it's all, all case by case. I know Ezekiel had to be made an example. You know, after the Ray Rice incident, they had to crack down a little bit harder, make you know, make sure that these things didn't happen anymore. I know there's no video, you know, all this crazy stuff. I, I don't really know too much about his situation, but I know there have been multiple incidents, and just I think it's less high profile, and therefore mm-hmm. Goodell doesn't seem the need to act. He kind of acts as as the politically correct society acts. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and it's just hard to be it's it's hard to also be the law. I mean when when the actual law can't find anything and there's no video evidence, are we suspending players for what we think they did? Because look at that point, like, look, it's awful what's alleged, but if you can't prove it, I don't I mean it doesn't seem completely fair in that in that regard. I mean, that's kind of how the criminal justice system works. So uh, that's right. where I'm at there. But the but the moral but the but the reality is Hill's going to play. The Chiefs are are pretty loaded still, um, and even without Kareem Hunt there, they got good play out of their running backs, and they're going to be a top team. Uh, but I, I'm just I'm just curious with this list of of defensive players because I I think offensively you kind of have a pecking order. Peers understand. Especially at the skill guys, you can you can nitpick Saquon Zeke and, and who's better there, but defensively, it seems like it's getting harder and harder. And maybe team success factors in to really rank these guys because 
you look at a guy like Stephon Gilmore, who is ranked higher than Jalen Ramsey, I got to think a lot of that was because the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Or people don't like Jalen Ramsey. That's a good point. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. I mean, it is pure <laughs> I don't think a lot of players base. like him. Is he, he the guy that brought, brought, backed up the Brinks truck? Yeah, that was him. I had, to, I had to keep track. So he backed up the Brinks truck. Uh, was it Antonio Brown in a hot air balloon? Sounds like a game of Clue. Yeah. I got I got to get these all all <laughs> taken care of. But yeah, he. I know a lot of people don't like him. So that that's a. I think good, the Brink trunk's a little bit over the line. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> it's hard for me to draw a line on just ridiculous entrances. But yeah, that's but I'm probably cool with it. the with the air balloon. I just think Jalen Ramsey talking about the money and like, oh, I'm backing it up, and this is you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like Revis Island was one thing, but this takes it to another level. Sure does, sure does. Uh, Khalil Mack, number three, is the one I just wanted to briefly touch on. That dude is an absolute stud, and uh, the Bears are a team that a lot does kind of ride on Trubisky, but maybe, I mean, we've seen it before, maybe he doesn't need to be that great because if that defense just keeps moseying along with Matt Nagy, another Reed disciple, the Bears could be that team that another team one play away from doing who knows what last year. Watch out for mm-hmm. Mack and them. Yeah, you saw how Mac transformed that defense into an average defense, into an elite defense, just by his presence. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people are high on them coming out of the North. Uh, I think I'm really excited about just kind of the parity of the league and seeing seeing where it takes us. So my, there's there's about good. seven teams you could argue two from each division, seven eight teams that you can argue in the NFC that deserve a Super Bowl that that could win the Super Bowl. Probably less so in the AFC, but there's still a lot of intrigue in the AFC West. Uh, I think the Patriots have the East on lock, of course, and and then there's it's just exciting. I think football being back is exciting. Woo! <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, I'm in agreement there. I think I agree with what you said. The NFC seems like it, the last couple of years has been loaded with teams that if any of them get in, we'll see what can happen and can make a run. Maybe it's a little, I don't want to say Patriots fatigue, but the Patriots factor. It's not that there's less good teams in the AFC. It's just that we don't think that they can beat the Patriots. We're, we're, <laughs> that, I think that's how we're measuring right. the AFC. And then you measure the other divisions based on if they can beat the Patriots or the <laughs> other divisions in, the AFC, in that conference, yeah. The last thing on this list I wanted to mention, and it just shows you how hard it is to rank uh, that position, but the highest offensive lineman, was number 43, David Bakatari, uh, who, uh, Batiari, excuse me, who, you know, was great on the Packers. But how do you put a lineman in here? Because it's hard to, you know, I, and I'm not saying, I'm saying how do you physically rank linemen? Like, it's hard to say how good they are. But, like, is, are there, are they that much better than that position? But you still need them? I mean, I don't know. That's where it gets kind of hard to do. Yeah, and that's, that's just, the list is about, just having a conversation piece that can carry you to the season and that's mm-hmm. through the off season. So, I mean, it is, it, it serves its purpose for what it is and, and the players vote. So I'm sure they had a reason. Yeah. Maybe it was because of his beer chugging ability. Cause that was the guy who put yeah. Rogers to shame and then started the, that was the other story of the off season was now I think you're contractually obligated as a quarterback to chug whatever you're drinking. If you're on the jumbotron. Yeah, that, that is becoming a thing. It's pretty good, pretty good. It was uh, it was a good run. Last question, Tom. This was fun. Um, as of right now, 
we'll say we'll say in like a standard fantasy league, who do you think the number one overall pick should be? Just curious. Yeah, that's a tough question in, in the day and age of holdouts and who's going to be good and who's not. Uh, between like a last year, what it would have been like Zeke or Gurley, Melvin. And Bell, we kind of knew was already out. Kind of yeah. So, uh, mm. let me watch Hard Knocks and see if it's Antonio Brown or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I would be a little wary of that team. Great show. I mean, we. I can't wait for that with the Raiders. Jesus, um, so many characters. I would say right yeah. now, and I'm not. We're just saying right now. I mean, there's a lot that could change. I would lean towards Saquon. I, I think volume wise, they're just going to be like, here you go. <laughs> yeah, Let's you're probably you right do. on that front. But I think you got to consider it's open. You know, with the Zeke and Gordon holdouts and Gurley's injuries, it's open. Uh, McCaffrey is up there, and so is Kamara. So, yeah, and then if you want a receiver Ooh, yeah, as well. I forgot about Kamara. He might be my choice. Michael Thomas, too, another one you can't really, you know, consider in, like, those PPR leagues. But something to think about as well. Uh, should be uh, should be fun to see what happens. But, Tom, this was a blast. Hope everything is well out there in Philadelphia. We'll have to be talking soon as the football season Absolutely. continues. And uh, thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. No problem. Thanks for having me again, Mitch. All right, huge thanks to both guests, and thank you everybody out there for listening, not just this episode, but any of the episodes you may have checked out in the 200-episode catalog. Really appreciative of that. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. And get all the episodes in the catalog on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play by searching Money Mitch Effect. Pops right up. You can leave a rating, subscribe, review as well. And just remember, this is it. We've rounded. We've gotten out of the dog days of summer. We're in August now. College football at the end of the month. The Hall of Fame game was exciting last night. It just started to whet our appetites as well. Baseball playoffs are coming up. It's a good time. It's a good time for sports. We got the U.S. Open as well, so we'll see if uh, Djokovic will just continue his reign in the men's game and what new star will be made in the women's game as well. That's tennis. That's for another show. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and until next time, keep enjoying sports, and thank you for listening to the 200th episode of the show. I'll see you next time.